Well, good morning. As Mandy said, my name is Shannon. I am one of the pastors, and I am so glad that you are here with us on this Super Bowl Sunday. I promise I'll be done wrapping up before the game begins, so we will all have a chance to get home. Well, Sundays for us in the Allison household, they're pretty typical. You know, we come here on Sunday mornings, and then just about every single Sunday evening, there's a conversation that takes place in my house. And after the kids have been put to bed, Gino and I have a conversation that goes something like this. Gino will say, hey, what do we have going on this week? And I'll say, well, I'm glad you asked because tomorrow morning Joe has to go to school early because he has to be there for band. I'll come back, I'll get the other two boys, I'll take them to school. Remember, you have Zeke all day. Can you make sure like he reads a book or something at least once? Make sure he reads, you know, eats some vegetables, please. Then remember, on Monday afternoons, we have piano lessons, so you need to make sure that you pick the boys up, get in line early so that you can get to piano lessons on time, which sometimes doesn't happen. Uh, then also remember, on Tuesday, you have that meeting with that one person, so we'll probably send a Monday email to remind them that you have that Tuesday meeting. Uh, big thing this week, Wednesday night, we have that band concert, so make sure that we're all ready for that. Thursday night, I work late, um, so you'll probably have to like, make sure you know, that I'm not, I won't be home until about 7 or so. Saturday morning, we have soccer games. Can you please make sure that the boys have the red jerseys washed because I hate looking for soccer jerseys on Saturday morning. Uh, so, yeah, I think that sort of covers it. At some point in the conversation, one of us will say, whew, it's going to be a busy week. And I began to wonder this week, I thought, how many times in a row do we need to have the conversation end with that phrase, it's going to be a busy week, before it just becomes a regular thing, right? Now, I am the keeper of the calendar. I have all the utensils and the tools. Uh, I love the shared calendars, by the way, and the shared reminders on the iPhone. I don't know if you guys have this, but you can like make sure that the person gets a message every time you're texting them about that to-do list thing. Gino hates it. I absolutely love it. Uh, but just so you know, like I'm the keeper of the schedule and I totally get that. And my husband, who shall remain nameless, he sometimes needs a little bit of help to stay on point. And so I just started wondering, like this is the season we're in, right? Like it's not just a busy week. Like this is the season that we're in. And I would say that the line between this current season of life and any other previous version of life, it seems a little bit vague to me. Like I'm not really sure when we entered this particular season of life, and I'm not quite sure when we will come out of it. And sometimes that's the way it is between different seasons of life, right? But if I were to map out my life, I can look back and I can see blocks of time like set aside by certain things that I was doing, how I was spending my time, where I was spending my energy. But the stop and start line seems sort of vague. Now, other times, there were real moments that put a clear line in the proverbial path of life, right? Like the times, you know, have you ever been standing outside where you can like, you are standing in the sunshine and you see the line of clouds and rain coming towards you? Or vice versa, you're like standing in the rain and you can see where the sunshine is? Moments that are forever etched in my memory, good and bad, that defined one season to the next. It's graduation moments and life events, first jobs and new jobs, promotions and marriages and births and milestones, 
But it's also breakups and job loss, people around me getting divorced, diagnosis, and even death. And it can be those moments that sent me into defined seasons of my soul, seasons that sent me into specific heart and head postures, things like disappointment, anxiety, fear, grief, but also joy, seasons of productiveness. And so I wonder if you might wonder along with me, knowing that we will encounter different seasons, how can we stay connected and anchored to what's true? How do we weather the seasons well? How do we stand the test of time? How do we set our lives on what's solid when everything around us is anything but solid? I'm reminded of an old hymn. Edward Moat wrote the song, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. He wrote it in 1834. Now the original song title was The Immutable Basis for a Sinner's Hope. Now, since immutable isn't in my regular vocabulary rotation, I did look up the word. And immutable means unchanging over time or unable to be changed. The unchanging basis for a sinner's hope. In talking about how the song came to be, Mr. Moat said that he wanted to write a hymn on the gracious experience of a Christian. The verses of the song describe different seasons of the soul. I'm going to read the song lyrics for you in case you're not familiar with the song. It says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne." And then the, the chorus, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And over the next few weeks, we're going to do a deeper dive into what it might look like to stand on Christ the solid rock during different seasons of our soul. Tackling different topics from different perspectives, rooting ourselves in what God has to say about all of this. And today, I want to look at the passage in the Bible that inspired some of the words of this particular hymn. So we're going to be looking at Matthew 7 today. I'll be specifically in verses 24 through 27. Now, Matthew 7, these are the end verses of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount that takes place uh, found in Matthew's five, Matthew 5 through 7. And throughout this sermon, Jesus details what it looks like to live as a follower of him. This sermon includes teaching on justice, care for the needy, handling the religious law, divorce, fasting, judging other people, salvation. He covers a lot of different things. It also includes instructions on how to pray, like this is where we learn the Lord's Prayer. And so these verses that I'm going to read today come at the end of his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, where he's driving home the point that the listeners should obey his words. That the stuff that he's just been talking about, yes, obey this stuff. And here's what he says, beginning in verse 24. 
Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now there's a parallel telling of this parable in Luke 6, 46 through 49, and I'm gonna read this as well because I sometimes feel like different words connect with us in different ways. So Luke 6, 46 through 49 says, this is Jesus speaking, he says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. It doesn't take much imagination to imagine the scene, right? The moral of the parable is that the best type of foundation is a foundation that stands firm, that's well-built, well-built for all seasons. And we can visualize the two structures and the two builders. In the text, one builder is named wise, the other is foolish. Not much to figure out here. Both builders build a house. Much of the appearance may be the same. Two builders with the same vocation, same final product, same general concept. And there's even more similarity in that the elements assault both structures, perhaps even equally. Torrential rains and floodwaters rising, winds beat against the structures. Neither house is exempt from the elements. But it's the one difference that drives home the point, the foundation. Sand versus rock. Have you ever um, done those pictures, maybe with your kids, I see them at restaurants sometimes, where like there's two side-by-side, almost identical pictures, and it says like, identify the differences, right? And it's like small, subtle. So like one teddy bear has a polka-dotted bow, and like the other teddy bear has got a striped bow, right? Well, if we were to do a compare and contrast side-by-side, the differences in the two structures would rest in the difference in the foundation. The foundation makes the difference. The foundation defines the outcome. The foundation identifies the builder's character. It's a simple story. Not a lot of details to wade through. Pretty straightforward. It's an obvious call to be wise builders, building on rock instead of sand. So great. We're the builders. We can either be wise or foolish. The house could be seen as the people and the stuff, the life that we are building and creating. It's our relationships, our profession, our hobbies, the stuff and people that we collect. The container, the rain and the floodwaters and the winds, those are the things that have the potential to knock down the building of our life. And here's the frustrating thing that crossed my mind as I was working through this passage this weekend. I just want to name it in case you might be feeling it too. The rain and the wind affects both houses. This means that even if I obey Jesus' commands, even if I follow his teaching, bad stuff can still happen. I could still get sick. I could still lose my job. My bank account can still be wiped out. And this is the wind and the waves of life. 
And we have to have a theology big enough to handle this. It's the immutable hope I have in Jesus as a sinner saved by grace. I know that the wind and the waves, even though they come, they do not win. I know that the kingdom of God is here, but not yet fully here. And so my hope rests in knowing that one day the kingdom of God will be fully here. Though if I'm honest, my human spirit sometimes feels shaky about this, depending on the season that I'm in. And I need to be reminded and called back into the truth of the still to fully come kingdom of God. I want a foundation that will not fail. And the only foundation that will not fail is to build your faith on the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth that can be found in the words of Scripture. The parable tells us that a person who obeys the teachings and commands of Jesus is a wise builder. And as Mr. Moat wrote in his song almost 200 years ago, it's still true today, every other type of thing, people or thing, that we try to set our foundation on will fail us. It is sinking sand. If you build a foundation on your career, you could lose your job tomorrow. Your relationship, as solid as it is today, it could be totally different a year from today. Your bank account could be wiped out in an instant. When we place our hope in the things of this world, it is sinking sand. But when we say yes to following Jesus, we commit to a life of transformation, a life where Jesus gets to have the say in how we spend our time and our resources and attention, a life that sets down what we want to do, our agenda and our ambition, and picks up instead Jesus's agenda. Jesus's agenda, as we talk about a lot here, but I want to drive it home, it's simply stated in Matthew 22, 27, that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and a second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And throughout the Bible, we see story after story of people like you and me working out what it looks like to live a life built firmly on the truth of Jesus, obeying the commands that he taught. And that's why over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at different stories and passages from the Bible that give us insight and wisdom into how we could or should walk this out in different seasons of our life. But before we get into those messages and we start talking about the different seasons of the soul, it feels like to me that it's necessary to assess the health of our current foundation, to really understand the current foundation from which we will build upon. Now, if you've ever bought or sold a house, at least here in Illinois, I don't know how they do it in other states, a home inspection is part of the process. Someone else will come in and they will review everything from your HVAC system to the foundation, to the roof, to the attic, interior, plumbing, electric, you know, the electrical system, all of that. And it's probably important to get a good inspection. Like some of you are cringing right now in your seat because you know that you did not get a good home inspection and you've spent thousands and thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours like dealing with a home issue. Now maybe it was the dishonesty of the previous owner. You know that question like, do you ever get water in your basement? No, never, never, never get water in the basement. And like that first April like sprinkle, you know you have like a water park in your basement. You're like, really? You never, never saw it? But I think that that's, you know, one of the things that's important to assess the foundation. 
And so before we start talking about anything else, before we start talking about any of the future sermons to come in this series, let's find out if we're building our foundation on rock or sand or some other mix. So I propose this morning that we do a spiritual foundational inspection. When was the last time you had your spiritual foundation inspected? When you think about homes, foundational issues, they tend to show up in interesting ways, right? It's water damage in the basement, it's a crack in the ceiling. Examining the foundation of your home, it can be easily ignored until something goes wrong. But I wonder how many foundational issues we could resolve if we caught them early and tended to them early. I wonder if it might be wise to get into the habit of regular and systematic spiritual foundation inspections. Now, I'm not an expert at foundational inspections, but I did come up with a uh, four-question check that I want to do today. Now, it is my hope that this morning we consider this an initial inspection because I don't think that we have time today to really like get the full inspection. But it is my hope that as we go through these four questions today, that it might be something that, that kind of sinks a little bit deeper into your soul where you say, you know what, I want to commit to this in the future. I want to commit to regularly and systematically engaging in a vulnerable discussion about the health of my spiritual foundation. And so because you're kind of, you have to go along with me on this, otherwise you, you know, I don't know what else we'll do here for the rest of the morning. Let's go ahead and go through these four questions. So join me in this initial inspection. Question number one on my initial inspection is, are you growing in your faith? Are you growing in your faith? Compare yourself to the type of Christian you were 10 years ago. And then compare yourself to the type of Christian you were one year ago. In this passage, the house built on sand collapses into ruin. And we've all likely seen some sort of video of like an avalanche or a mudslide or a landslide or something where it like moves its way across a piece of land. But I did a little bit of research about landslides this week. I found out that rock falls are the fastest type of landslide and that they are usually rapid downward movements of large pieces of rock. But some landslides can move more slowly, millimeters per year. And I wanted us to like pay attention to this idea of speed, right? This fast and slow as we inspect our spiritual growth. Growth can happen quickly or slowly depending on the season. We even have a word for this, right? Growth spurts. And I wonder if today you can look back on your Christian walk and you can identify moments where you were experiencing a a Christian growth spurt. Moments when you were literally showing up to every Christian event in a 100-mile radius. Like you would not miss it. You were being mentored. You were mentoring other people. You were steady at all of the spiritual disciplines. Like all of them, all day long. And your growth during that season was remarkable. I bet you can also identify perhaps more stretches of your life where your growth was maybe more slow and steady. Sustained growth as you continued to develop as a follower of Jesus. But here's what's also true. 
Spiritual death can happen slowly or quickly, depending on the season. And I wonder if you might feel the Spirit today identifying areas where you might have or might be experiencing a lack of growth or a death spurt. Maybe for some of you here today, you would say that just right now in this moment, you are aware that your faith is not growing. That millimeter by tiny millimeter, your faith has slowly been dying. You're a shell of what you once used to be. And maybe others of you know an exact moment, an exact seasonal switch in your life, of your soul, where you fell the full-on rock fall in your life. Your faith came crashing down. Today, you might still be in the rubble of the mess. Today, you might be digging yourself out, trying to decide what to do next. And sometimes I wonder if we experience a proverbial avalanche of sorts that we realize we have to build and rebuild an entirely new structure, and that can feel very overwhelming. In our church right now, we recognize and give space for all of these potential scenarios. In fact, I want to say to those of you who are realizing at this moment, if you are more in a death phase than a growth phase, that we are glad that you are here. We're glad that you're here. And as a church, we want to surround you and we want to surround your soul during this season. And we feel confident because we believe that we serve a Jesus who brings life out of death. Healthy things grow. Healthy Christians continue to look more and more like Jesus. New Christians, veteran Christians, born-again Christians, liberal Christians, conservative Christians, all of us, all the potential types of Christians that you want to identify. Healthy Christians grow. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we believe that growth is possible, even growth out of death. So that's question one. Are you growing? Question number two, what disciplines maintain your foundation? Another way to say it or another way to think about it is, what practices do you do to keep your foundation intact? We've just come off of a sermon series where we described some of the spiritual disciplines. These are patterns and rhythms that define and shape your identity as a Jesus follower. So in the dailiness of your life, What actions indicate that you are obeying Jesus' commands? What indicates that you are a wise builder? These are the things that you do whether you feel like doing them or not. The vegetables for your soul. Our foundation is often strengthened by the discipline of our spiritual practices. Additionally, these rhythms have a steadying force in our lives when we encounter different seasons of the soul. COVID hits, the world shut down. What are your disciplines? You get the new job, the promotion, the company car. What are your rhythms? You get a boyfriend. You go to college. You get your first for real, for real paycheck. What are your patterns? What are the non-negotiables in your life that steady you through the highs and lows, the seasons of freedom and the seasons of constraint, the seasons of overflow and the seasons of lack? Your disciplines, your patterns, your rhythms, they become the rock structure beneath your feet, established well before the moment, established well before the season comes to pass. Listen, I don't want to have to guess at what type of person I will be in my lowest season of life. I also don't want to have to guess at the type of person I will be in the highest of my highs. 
I want my patterns and my rhythms to be so ingrained in me that I am predictable in the best possible way. I want to be so disciplined so that no matter what comes my way, I am steady. And if there should come a moment when I lose myself, it is my hope that someone loves me enough to come grab me by my shoulders and shake me around a bit to point me back to my spiritual disciplines, to remind me that I am a child of the king. And this brings me to my next question on our inspection. Who has access to examine your foundation? Let me say that again. Who has access to examine your spiritual foundation? Now this question, and the next question, unlike the previous two, this question is less narrative. It's more fill in the blank. In other words, while you might be able to narrate your way through answering the first two questions, I believe that a true and solid inspection will force the answers in these last two questions to result in actual names. Who has access to examine and give you feedback about your spiritual life? Who gets a straight answer when you're asked the question, how is your soul? Better yet, who's asking you, how is your soul? Like, actually name the people. Or when you go home, write it down. Or whatever. But I want you to actually list names of real people who actually exist. Like, this isn't some sort of Chicago voting thing, right? Right? I want them to know their name, like you should say their names and that they would be in actual agreement with your assessment. Like they wouldn't be surprised that they have access to your foundation. And men, let me just pause here and just say that I think women are way better at this on average than men. And I would just say that, men, I think you are missing out on the best that God has for you when you choose to not develop meaningful relationships with other Christian men. The women in your life, your coworkers, your wives, your moms, your daughters, all of us, we will all be better if you are spiritually healthy. So get into relationship with people who really know the status of your soul. Now, women, I think we are better, but I think we need to stay vigilant in this. Like, we need to get in each other's lives in the best possible ways. We need to stay in each other's lives. We need to continue to be better than the men at this. And teens and students that are here or watching, I don't think it's too early to start considering what it would look like to deliberately build real friendships that indicate a care and concern for each other's souls. Now, I think this idea of who has access, I think it can play out in two different ways. And so I want to identify those because so, I want to make sure that we're talking on the same page here. There are soft inquiries to your soul, right? Like, how's your soul? It's like the stuff that you hear outsiders comment on. What they kind of identify as the fruit of the spirit in your soul. Like, man, you're so patient or you're so kind. Those are great soft inquiries that people kind of identify in you. And I think that's often a really good gauge of how you are presenting to the world. But it's a little more subtle. I think the other style is the hard inquiries, where you really ask people into your deep life. You ask them to get into your business and know you and know your soul. 
And I think we need both the hard inquiries and the soft inquiries. We need to name the people, though. And if you don't have people, I think you need to get some people. And if you don't know how to get some people, I'd love to talk to you about how to get some people in your life. But let me just say that one of the ways that we do this at the SSV, the ways that we develop the type of relationships where we're saying, how is your soul, and like really getting straight answers, the way that we do this is that we have people join small groups. And we ask that you really give yourself to the small group. Decide to commit to showing up completely to a small group where you can develop relationships with other people where they will be asking you, how's your soul? So who has access to examine your foundation? Remember that one's fill in the blank. And then the last question of our inspection is this. Who are you discipling? Straight out of Matthew 28, Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus invites us into this process of making more disciples, teaching them to obey the commands of Jesus. And so my question this morning is, how are you doing with this go and make disciples part? Who are you currently discipling so that they will come to know Jesus or come to know him more? And parents, I think, yes, your kids, like they should be at the tippy top of your list. You should be discipling your kids. And if that's all you have space for in the season that you're in, I think that's great. Like do that and do it with all of your heart. But if I could challenge you just a little bit, I would encourage you to add at least one non-child that belongs to you to the list. And I say this because I think there's just a little bit more accountability when we deliberately choose to engage with this commissioning from Jesus with someone outside of our children. Go and make disciples. And the invitation from Jesus is direct and personal. You. Yes, you. Go and teach that person what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. Is she talking to me? Yes, I'm talking to you. Yes, you. In that season that you're in, go and make disciples. Oh, but not at my age. Yes, at your age. But I'm just a new Christian. Yep, you go do it too. Go and make disciples. Oh, but I already did that. Remember that one guy 10 years ago? Yes, you, thank you for doing that 10 years ago. Let's go do it again and again and again. And I've included this question because I believe that when we have our lives built on the solid rock of Jesus' truth, we are reminded that the command to go and make disciples demonstrates obedience. And in the different seasons of our soul, there will still be opportunities for us to disciple others that discipling will undoubtedly look different during different seasons. And there may be an ebb and a flow to it, but every season is a season that God can use us. And when we commit to making disciples in the different seasons of our soul, we are teaching other Jesus followers what it looks like to walk through these different seasons. To use the phrase that our story can be a page in someone else's survival guide. 
Someone needs to see in you what happens when the wind and the rain comes and the flood rises, when all hell breaks loose and you are still trusting God. Someone needs to see that. Someone needs to see in you the generosity that still exists in people who climb to the highest rungs of the corporate ladder. Someone needs to see in you that a seasoned Christian still regularly gets up and reads her Bible, that she still commits to small group, and that she still goes to serve at Restoration Ministries, even though she's been doing it for 30 years. Someone needs to see in you not a perfect Christian, but an authentically, foundationally secure follower of Jesus because the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you transforms you daily. Go and make disciples. Still, go do it today. Go do it tomorrow. And then the next day, in every season of your life. Okay, pencils down. This concludes this portion of our initial spiritual inspection. And worship team, you can start making your way up. Is your foundation a foundation for all seasons? Let me just recap what we've discussed in our four-question inspection. One, measure your spiritual growth. Two, identify your spiritual disciplines. Three, Name who has access, like actual names. And four, name who you are discipling. Again, actual names. And based on this initial assessment, I want to allow the Holy Spirit to just minister to you right now. I just want you to be willing to invite him into this vulnerable space Because I don't think that we can accomplish today, sitting here in this room, I don't think that we can accomplish all that God wants to do with this initial inspection. We've got to do some at-home paperwork on this. We've got to write the answers in pen so that we have to sit with it a little bit longer. Because we all have work to do. And it's going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit that we accomplish this, that we really get the opportunity to secure our foundation. We can't do this by working hard or just showing up to enough things or continuing to just like bootstrap our way through this life. We need to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. And so as you consider this spiritual foundational inspection today, I just want you to allow the Holy Spirit to just kind of sink deep in your soul. And I think that's going to take a little bit of courage. And as we just sit with this a little bit, I just feel like the Holy Spirit just is reminding us that there might be conviction from the Holy Spirit, but there's no shame. Shame is not from the Holy Spirit. And so what is the invitation from the Holy Spirit today? Where do you feel the encouragement of the Holy Spirit? Where do you feel the conviction? Holy Spirit, we invite your presence. Come more.
Holy Spirit, would you just give us the courage to assess our foundation? You are a good God. And you are inviting us into your loving arms. Thank you, Jesus.